everyone and a very warm welcome to morning worship for this first Sunday in Lent. A very special welcome if you're visiting today um, it's lovely to have Margaret with us uh, from Aberdeen and uh, and I think Orla is with us too. That's lovely and if I've missed anyone I apologise but we hope you will have a good time with us this morning and feel very much at home with us. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina and everything we need to follow the service will be both on the printed order of service that we were given as we came in and also on the screen behind me. As you can see during this morning's service we will celebrate communion together and everyone who's trying to follow Jesus is invited to take part. But don't worry if you'd rather not, just pass the bread and wine. Thank you, Anne. It's really good to be back. It was um, interesting and useful to have a few Sundays in other places, but there's nowhere like home, is there? And this, for me, is home. And as we lead into our service, I'm going to read some words from Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. And with those thoughts in mind, shall we join together in our opening hymn of worship, Come Down, O Love Divine.
And so we come to God in prayer. It's a shame that Jeff's not here, as it's St. David's Day, to have had the Lord's Prayer in Welsh would have just been perfect. If anybody else can do it in Welsh, that would be fantastic. But when we get to that point, please do join in in the form, language that is the most normal and natural for you. Let us pray together. God of mountain and plain, of day and night, of sun, snow and rain, we come now seeking to be more aware of your eternal presence. We know with our minds and believe in our hearts that in you we live and move and have our being. And yet sometimes, because we don't feel warm and fuzzy, because your voice is heard only in the sound of sheer silence, we wonder, is our worship actually effective? If somehow what we say and sing, preach and pray, gladdens your heart or brings a smile to your face. God, whose spirit comes as burning flame and flowing water, as soothing oil and peaceful dove, and yes, as honking goose or cooing pigeon, as rushing wind disturbing our ease, we come now with our hearts and minds open to you. To be comforted or discomfited as you decide to find new insights or to discover old dogmas questioned, to be refreshed and renewed for our ongoing lives as we try to follow Jesus in the everyday. God who sometimes surprises us. God who is there when we see no trace of your presence. God who travels with us in this season of Lent, hear us now as we join our voices in the form of prayer Jesus taught his followers as we say together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass
So it's the first Sunday in Lent, and it is also St. David's Day. So what better than to have some beautiful daffodils? These are very precious. These ones are not flowering this year. But can anybody remember last autumn when we had our daffodils that had been growing outside the church? Um, Yeah, do you remember them? Well, these are them. Um, They're having a rest this year. They're just putting out lots of strong leaves to build themselves up so they will hopefully flower next year or the year after. But these are our defiant daffodils of hope that have withstood an awful lot of struggle. And these are beautiful daffodils in a pot to remind us of the hope. And daffodils are sometimes called Lent lilies because they are the flowers that bloom during the season of Lent. And they are beautiful and they're full of hope. Um, I was up in the Lake District um, for part of last week, or down in the Lake District, isn't it? Up the hills, but down (laughs) in the lakes. And there were a few early daffodils out there, and it was blowing a gale and the snow was coming down. But you know what? They still stood there proudly being daffodils. And I like that about daffodils. They're lilies. But Lent, as we know, is the season when we start to get ourselves ready for Easter. And last week, some people will have done some special things to help with that. Who had pancakes? Anybody have pancakes? Some people had pancakes. I've brought some pancakes with me today, if anybody fancies a pancake. have some chocolate-filled ones, which have got quite nice um, wasteful plastic on them, but it does make it easy to eat them. Or we have some, some other ones. Anybody fancy a pancake? Yeah, come on, Bobby Lee. Come and have a pancake. Would you, would you like a chocolate one or a, a not-chocolate one? A chocolate one. There you are. Anybody else fancy? Oh, there's somebody. Yep, Esther and David fancy one. Would you like a chocolatey one? The advantage of these is, you see, you can kind of eat them out of the packets if your mum or dad allows you. They don't want to get into too much trouble. But why do people have pancakes? Don't just have them because they're not, I mean, they are nice, but, but why did people have pancakes in times gone by? Do you know? Oh, you do. You're just being polite and pretending you don't. I know. Yeah, it was to use everything up. Yeah, that's right. There were no fridges, no freezers. So you weren't allowed to eat a lot of luxury foods, rich foods during Lent. You had to be very sober and holy and fast. So you had to eat it up. You had to eat up your milk. You had to eat up your eggs and your butter because otherwise you'd end up throwing it away. Maybe that's something we could do with reminding ourselves to eat up things rather than to throw them away. So they would make pancakes on the Tuesday before Lent started and they would eat them all up. And in some countries, it's called Mardi Gras, Fat Tuesday, and they have carnivals. When Christine, our missionary, was over, she, she's a bit bewildered by the pancakes and the kind of serious side of it. She thinks she, she should be partying the day before Lent. But yeah, so you had the, your pancakes to actually use up all the, the eggs and the milk and the butter. And if you had nice things, you'd probably eat up the last of your, your bacon or whatever you had as well so that you would prepare yourself, and you could go to church as well, um, to be shriven by the priest, which is where we get the name Shrove Tuesday. What about the first Wednesday in Lent? That's a special day too. Anybody know what's special about that one? Ash Wednesday. Wednesday. Okay, and what's special about Ash Wednesday? Anybody know? Yes, go on. The previous yeah, and that's right. So the palm trosses that people had last year, the leftover ones, I guess, 
the priest would take them and burn them to ash. Now, I did buy these um, because they're very messy, and you have to, it's quite a faff to actually make the ashes. Who wants to come and have a look at my ashes? Do you want to have a look? Dark, aren't they? So what that happens is the priest gets the ashes and they mix it, usually with olive oil, but I'm going to use baby oil because that's um, hypoallergenic. And you mix it up and you make a nice paste. Can I borrow your hand, Bonnie? Are you going to let me do it? Thank you. You're very good. I'm going to do some more people. And the priest would just make a mark of a cross and they would say some words they would say remember mortal or man depending where you go that you are dust and to dust you will return as they put the cross on the people and that can sound really scary can't it remember your dust anybody else up for being crossed thank you Freya remember you are dust and to dust you will return but it's actually do you know I think it's a really beautiful thing because actually we are made of the same dust as the stars. And the stars are beautiful, aren't they? And the stars are here forever. But it also reminds us, in a, in a very powerful way, that when we've left this earth, when we have gone to be in heaven with God, the bits of us that remain on the earth will go on to be something else, go on to be something else beautiful. Sorry, Bobby. So we can say, remember you are stardust and you are precious in God's eyes. Anybody else want some? No? Oh, here we go. Remember you are stardust and you are precious in God's eyes. So Lent can be quite um, a serious time, a serious time of preparing for Easter. But it can also be a very beautiful time. Thank you, Bonnie, for letting me do that to you. And when we remember that God loves us and God thinks we're very special. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about Lent, about what it means to journey with Jesus towards Easter. And I won't be putting any more ashes on people, so you're quite safe. But I thought it would be good to sing a hymn together that speaks about the season of Lent, 40 days and 40 nights.
Today's readings will be Genesis 12, 1 to 4. Matthew 17, 1 to 9. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curse you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah taking with him, talking with him, sorry, then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them. And from that cloud, a voice says, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came to and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Father, for your word.
Now, if we have any Lent purists here, or lectionary purists here, you'll have spotted that we're using the readings for Lent 2, not the readings for Lent 1. However, if you are a real lectionary purist, you'll also have spotted that last week's lectionary and next week's lectionary have the same reading. Very bizarre. I've been reading people's things online all week, and they were talking about the transfiguration, and I'm thinking... That's next week, but it was also last week in some schemes. So some churches are going to listen to it twice. Um, So that's okay. But it's a very strange and wonderful story where Jesus with Peter, James and John are on a mountaintop. And whether it was a vision, whether it was a dream, whether it was an actual historical event, event, or whether it's the product of a theological imagination, It's an intriguing and bewildering story, and it's one that's attractive, and it's one that I find also puzzling. I've preached on this passage many, many times, and there are two questions I always end up coming back to, so I thought I might as well tell you them again. First of all, how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? Many times I have joked that they had badges, pinned to their chest going, I'm Moses or I'm Elijah. How do you know? How did they know that's who it was? And why was it Moses who never quite entered the land of the promise? He died before he got there. And Elijah, who didn't actually die, he was one of only two people who seemed to have managed to cheat death, recorded in the scriptures. Well, I'm not going to answer those questions. I don't think I ever answer those questions, but they always remain at the back of my mind as we think about Moses, Elijah, and Jesus and moments on top of mountains. Some of them might be what we would think of as mountaintop moments. We sometimes talk about great, wonderful moments, don't we? As being like a mountaintop moment. I was full of joy. I was full of excitement. It was, it was wonderful. It was like standing on the top of a mountain on a nice, bright, sunny day. But others of the stories we read of these men on the top of mountains somehow lack that joy and wonderfulness. So at the heart of our thoughts today are going to be some of the times that Moses and Elijah were on mountains. And maybe that will help us to connect with this strange but probably familiar story. I'm going to start with Elijah and two very different mountaintop moments that he experienced. When I was growing up, the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel was a great Sunday school favourite. Here there was Elijah, the prophet of God, in a competition with the prophets of Baal or Baal, however you're supposed to say it, to find out whose God was bigger and stronger. And it's, it's a really crazy story, but it's great for small people in Sunday school, I guess. And the, the Baal worshippers go first, and they prepare an altar and they put the ox on it, and they start to call down fire from their God. And nothing happens. And Elijah starts to taunt them, to tease them. He says, well, maybe your God can't hear you. Shout louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's gone away. Maybe he's busy. Or the one that always gets a giggle in Sunday school. Maybe he's on the toilet. But nothing happens. 
And then it's Elijah's turn. So they, they build the altar, they lay out the sacrifice, and then they pour water all over it. And then they pour more water all over it. And then a third time, they pour water all over it. And of course, when Elijah prays, fire comes down, the water evaporates, the sacrifice is burnt up, the altar is, is even burnt up. So Elijah wins the competition. My God is bigger than your God. Now, if we can set aside our questions over the historicity of this story, whether it really happened, and if we can get past that ludicrous nature of a competition that my God's bigger than your God, I wonder if there have been times when we have glimpsed something of the wonder of God, have felt, as Elijah must have felt at that moment, really close to God. Everything is wonderful and he's in tune with God and it's great. It was a mountaintop moment for Elijah. But we only have to turn over the page of our Bibles and we begin to discover a very different experience which takes place on another mountain. Once the news is out about what happened on Mount Carmel, Queen Jezebel decides that Elijah has to be captured and put to death. And he's terrified. He flees. He runs away. And then he becomes depressed. There's no other way to describe what we read of Elijah. And suicidal thoughts form in his mind. He prays, let me die. I'm the only one left. Nobody cares. Just let me die. See, being a faithful believer doesn't guarantee a trouble-free life. And facing enormous challenges and then encountering God in a powerful way is only ever going to be very fleeting. Real life returns very quickly. <coughs> it is a fact that Christians can have mental health issues, mental health crises. It is a fact that some Christians and people of other faiths die by suicide despite their faith. And Elijah comes very close. Let's not fool ourselves. Elijah feels suicidal at this point. But he doesn't take his life. He doesn't commit suicide. He rests and he eats and he has some more rest and some more food. And then he's told to go to a cave on Mount Horeb. Now, I don't know whether the cave was at the bottom or the top or in the middle. I don't think that's the most important thing. But after the night in the cave, Elijah is told to go and stand at the mouth of the cave, on the mountain, in the presence of the Lord. And there comes a mighty wind that shatters rock. And an earthquake that shakes the mountain. And an incredible fire. Maybe more powerful than the fire he saw on Carmel. Who knows? But God isn't in any of those things. It's only after those. And in what we usually translate as the still small voice or quiet whisper... 
or actually the most accurate translation of the Hebrew there is, the sound of sheer silence that God is found. Couldn't be more different from Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was exciting and vibrant and God was very obviously active and Elijah was excited. But here, God's not in the fire. God is in the nothingness, in the silence. I wonder, have we had moments like that? When we felt utterly abandoned and alone? Totally desperate. Felt like giving up on God, if God was even there, because it didn't feel much like it. Maybe have we even considered ending our lives? And have we discovered, like Elijah, that God is present in the silence? that God mysteriously is present in absence. A very different kind of moment on a mountain. And you see, this is the Elijah who meets Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Elijah, who has felt so incredibly close to God and seen great powerful things and been confident and Elijah, who thought about ending it all, and met God on another mountain in absolute silence. I wonder, do we recognize any of our own story in those aspects of the life of Elijah? So what about Moses? Well, he has two mountaintop moments I'm going to share with you, and they both take place on the same mountain, Mount Sinai. And each of them involves a very profound encounter with God. These stories take place after the people have left Egypt and are beginning to establish themselves as a nation. And Moses goes up the mountain on his own into the presence of God. And a cloud comes down. And the Israelites, the rest of the people, are told they must stay away from the mountain on threat of dire consequences. I actually counted up this week. The book of Exodus devotes no less than 13 chapters to what happens on the top of the mountain. As God gives Moses not just the Ten Commandments, but also rules for ordering society, and then page after page after page of instructions about how to design and make the tabernacle, the tent where they will worship. In fact, Moses has got there so long, the people begin to wonder whether he's going to come back. And they encourage Aaron to help them set up a new religion, and they all give in their gold, and he melts it down and makes the golden calf. It's a really tragic scenario. Moses comes down the mountain very carefully carrying the stone tablets that have been entrusted to him on which are engraved the commandments. I wonder how he was feeling then. Excited? 
proud, privileged. This is great. I've had this, this time with God and I've, I've got this great thing to give to people. And then as he comes down, he can hear music and singing. And he sees the people dancing and he sees they're dancing around this golden calf. And everything he was feeling that was positive is gone like that. And he's furious. In fact, he is so angry, he throws down the stone tablets and smashes them. All that intimacy with God goes in an instant. And it is a really horrible, bloody story that follows on with slaughter and anger and regret and sorrow. don't suppose any of us have ever gone up a mountain and come down with uh, stone tablets. But maybe we have had our moments of great spiritual joy, really feeling close to God. Everything is wonderful. And then we're brought back to earth with a bump. And our joy is gone in a moment. Maybe we have felt anger frustration because other people just don't get it we've had this amazing moment with god and they don't get it have we smashed up at least metaphorically something that was beautiful and precious because we are so disappointed so disillusioned so angry with other people time passes And Moses is able to resume his close relationship with God. And he carefully chisels out two new stone tablets to replace the ones he smashed. And he carefully carries them up Mount Sinai to present them to God. I quite like that kind of circularity. And he's up there for a while. And he gets some more rules. And then he comes down. And this time... Everybody who sees him notices something. He's been transfigured. His face is glowing radiantly. The trouble is, as time passes, the glow fades. And so Moses puts a veil over his face so that people can't see that he fades, becomes ordinary again. At first, that seems a really strange thing to do. Well, I think it is a strange thing to do. But I wonder, is he actually a bit like all the rest of us, that we we kind of hide our true self behind a veil because we don't want people to see us as we really are, frail, failing, doubting, questioning, sad, angry, lonely, confused, whatever it is. How much do we as believers in Jesus go along with the pretense of being fine? And we all know what fine means, don't we? How it spells out. I'll do you the polite one first. Feeling inadequate, needing encouragement. Or there's a not so polite one where I have to put an asterisk in the first word. Where we are F asterisked up. Inadequate, neurotic and emotional. We say we're fine actually what's going on behind the veil behind the mask Moses needed encouragement sometimes Moses fouled up sometimes Moses was angry emotional whatever 
he was actually not so very different from any of us. And this is the Moses that Jesus meets on the mountain. So do we see any of ourselves in, in that one? So on this mountaintop, Jesus is seen in a conversation with Elijah, a prophet who has experienced depression and suicidal ideation. And Moses, a lawgiver with a short fuse and a checkered history. And that's what struck me as I've thought about these stories afresh for today. These were fallible men, men who had complicated and challenging lives and who each of them messed up sometimes. They also had great and profound experiences of God. And Jesus is on this mountain with some other fallible men, Peter, James and John, who have an encounter they can't explain and they just wish it would not stop. They just wish this could go on, this amazing experience of being with Jesus and Elijah and Moses, their spiritual heroes from their boyhood perhaps. They just want it to go on and on and on. But it can't. Just as Elijah and Moses had to come down the mountain, back to the everyday, back to people who did or didn't get it, who did or didn't want to know about it, back to their everyday life. They couldn't stay there forever. Life had to go on. And then right at the end of Matthew's Gospel is another story about Jesus on top of a mountain. And I know I've used these verses at least twice already this year, and I'll probably continue because I just feel drawn back to them time and time again at the moment. After all the heartbreak of Jesus' arrest and execution and all the excitement of the resurrection, they go up a mountain and they get given instructions. And the instructions are to go back down. But not just to go down, but to go out. To go through the whole world and tell the stories of what they've experienced. To enable other people to become followers of Jesus. And to do that, not on their own, but with the assurance that even when we mess up, even when we stress up, even when we really want to give up, Jesus is with us, always, to the very end of time. There can be mountaintop moments, moments of great clarity in our thought, moments of great excitement, moments when our faith is wonderful and everything is joyous, perhaps after baptism or when we received into membership or, or whenever it might be. But we can't stay there forever. We have to come back to the everyday. We have to play our part in the fulfilment of God's promise to Abram. Remember that little reading right at the start? I kind of struggled to work out why the lectionary people have put it there. But Abram is told that through him, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And through us, as the successors of those people, all the families of the earth shall be blessed if we come off our mountains and go back out and tell the stories of Jesus and share the love of God and be the people we are called to be.
transfigured Christ, none comprehends your majesty, whose splendor stuns all waking souls, whose light transcends the brightness of a thousand suns. Sisters, let us pray. Parent Lord, it is my privilege to pray to you on behalf of my spiritual family. At this moment, with the relentless rain, sleet, flooding and winds, it feels as if nature itself is punishing us for our bad stewardship of the perfect world you made for us and entrusted into our keeping. Forgive us, Lord, we pray, and teach us to do better for our children's sake. In mercy, as in times of yore, still the waters quieten the storms. Forgive us our mistakes. This we pray. We pray for those all over the world 
suffering persecution for their faith in you. We pray also for those who do not yet know of your love and the joy it gives. We pray that our world is spared more suffering from the latest pandemic, the coronavirus, which has become our newest obsession, replacing that of Brexit. The latter we have forgotten until we feel the future consequences. O Lord, our help in ages past, help us in the here and now. Awaken us to the fact that though we may be individually innocent in the problems which beset our world, yet we may have a measure of responsibility, particularly in choosing the politicians our selfishness thinks will serve our needs in the short term. Transfigure us for the better. Change us, Lord. Open our minds to the consequences of our choices, we pray. Shield the innocent from our folly. Help us to correct our mistakes and take the hard road rather than the easy one. Lord, we pray for the troubled in our community. On preparing for this moment, an old saying from my youth came to mind. It was a saying designed to stop you feeling sorry for yourself, but which for me had the opposite effect. As an adult, I learned it came from one of the most pessimistic, depressing poems ever written, and one which I do not recommend. Perhaps you've heard the line. Laugh, and the world laughs with you. Weep, and you weep alone. When I came to the knowledge of God's enduring love, I realised his glorious son Jesus changed those lines into Laugh, and the world laughs with you. Weep, and you do not weep alone. For I am with you, holding you, weeping with you, comforting you until the end of time. For those who are racked with the darkness of fear, of illness either for themselves or a loved one, for those struggling with grief at the loss of a loved one, questioning their faith as a consequence, we remember humbly that your son also sat in the darkness of the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with the doubts, the whys. He understands only too well the doubts of those in fear, those who grieve, their questioning, their anger, and he leads us back into the light of belief that ultimately in your loving arms all will be well. Come down, O love divine, comforter for all of time. Remind us you are always with us. Now let us take a breath and look to our own little part of the world. On the home front, we think of some fellow churches. 
In particular, we pray for the Christian Fellowship at Aberfeldy, a small congregation trying to serve a spiritually needy community. We pray that they make seed with your help. We pray for Ron Flett, the Aberdeen City Centre chaplain, and also for those aspiring to become volunteer chaplains. Encourage them in this vital work of outreach. We pray for the BUS Council as it meets in Perth, seeking to discern the mind of Christ in these times and, hopefully, pass on their conclusions to us. We pray for the Campbelltown Community Church holding joint evening services with two other churches. Bless this initiative, we pray. We pray for the Cannon Mills Church in Edinburgh, giving witness to the local community and to visiting tourists. Valuable work deserving of your favour. We add our prayers to the World Day of Prayer and we give thanks that the people of all nations can unite in prayer for each other. We are proud to be part of that unity. We pray for the ministry in Kerluk, serving the local community in many ways, including a cafe. Pray for the church that they will be a place of hope and friendship and life. We pray for our very own minister, Katriona, trusting that her sabbatical will renew and strengthen her spiritual commitment to you and to us. We also pray for our very own pastoral team, always there to prop us up when we are down, always looking out for us and giving support. In essence, they remind us that we are not alone, but part of a large, caring family of believers. Thank you, God, for their existence. On the world stage, we note with joy that the British Missionary Society is acknowledging the powerful influence of women missionaries in their work. In particular, they have mentioned a woman who we feel belongs to us, Dr Ellen Clough, of whom I heard when I first entered this church, a woman who met and shared her witness with members of our congregation still with us today. What a joy and inspiration that is. They spoke with her. They met with her. What a joy. Lord, Dr Ellen served you throughout her life and I am sure sits at your side now. Let us try to do so likewise, to serve and to eventually sit at your side. This we pray. All this we dare to ask in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who stilled the wise and kept his faith, even unto the cross of sacrifice. Amen.
practice at the moment on communion Sundays we call to mind before God those who have gone before us loving God we recall with gratitude those who've gone before us and whose anniversaries of death fall around this time although we have no specific names in our own list we remember those we have known and have loved And we give thanks for the life of James Bowie, the father of Kirstine, who was part of our church until her own untimely death. We pray for those who mourn his loss. May our memories comfort and console us. And may your promises give us hope and strength for our own continuing lives. Amen. of John we read these words the word became flesh and lived among us and we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son full of grace and truth when we persist in chasing after mountaintop experiences thinking that we'll find God's glory there God pulls out a snapshot of Jesus and says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. So here we are gathered around his table, listening to Jesus. For this is his table and everyone is welcome. Those of us who get up every morning and try to follow Jesus, and those of us who fall asleep every night only too well aware that once again we failed. Those of us whose faith is full to overflowing and those of us who are running on empty. Those of us who know what this meal is all about. 
and those who struggle with its mystery. So come, friend and stranger, come, brother and sister, come, old and young, for you are God's beloved and you are welcome at this feast. So let us pray. Loving God, we confess that we have failed again and again to listen to you. You created us in your image, yet we ignored your words of life and chose to go our own way. You sent the prophets to call us back to you, and we paid no heed. But then you sent Jesus, your glory, to become flesh and blood, to share earth's agonies with us, so that we might be reshaped as your beloved children. So with your children gathered in this place, in this moment, and with your children in every time and place, we sing our prayer of joy to you. of Paul, a first century follower of Jesus. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks he broke it, and said, This is my body that is for you. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.
as we usually do, we will retain our glasses and we will drink together. The cup of compassion for a broken world. Let us pray. As we have fed upon the living word, may we go out to speak for those who have no voice. As your cup of peace has filled us, may we go out into our riven world as agents of that peace. Until that day when we are gathered into your glory, with all your children from all times and all places, and we can sing of your grace and your glory forever. Amen. tops of wonder and delight though we long to stay we will go taking God's grace into the dark places of our world and even through the valley of the shadow of death when we are afraid and even when we lose our way we will go on knowing that God is with us and will lead us home mm -hmm. 